All right, we're we're in our study on the life of faith, and we're looking at a topical study uh, began with Abraham, and now we're looking at Isaac, his son, and we're looking at Genesis chapter 26. We were here last time, and we we looked at the um, some of the things that Isaac did that were very similar to what his father did, and sometimes they were good, sometimes they weren't. And last time we looked at the whole issue of deception and sin in that aspect of his life, but yet he repented of that, and God blessed him because of that. And that's where we pick it up this morning. We're going to read um, Genesis chapter 26, and actually I'm going to read in, starting in verse 12, Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants, and so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, And they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and saying, they, uh, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Isaac, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called, the name, called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. And then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have uh, sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace You are now the blessed of the Lord. And so he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. And then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. 
And so he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come to you thanking you for the very fact that you bring us living water today from your word, from your spirit. We ask, O Lord, that we would indeed drink deeply in your well. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray he might be exalted in our church today and in our lives, in our, church, in our community, in our nation, in our world. May many come to saving faith in him. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You come to this section of uh, Genesis 26, and as you followed along there, I know it was a lengthy reading, but you have all these wells. And the, they were wells where, in an arid country, you needed to have wells because if you had herds of animals, they need to drink and you need to drink. And uh, in that desert country, it was very important to have a source of water. And we saw that earlier in the life of Abraham, where he also dug wells. And by the way, if you ever want a good kind of devotional study, uh, grab your Bible, uh, take your concordance in the back, if you have a study Bible, and look up the word well, and look at the number of times well appears in Scripture. There's a lot. And it's a great study. Each well has a name usually attached to it and, or, or some associated with some action or some person. And each one really is there for, well, something that we can, um, can, can study and look at. Now, the thing with wells is they don't naturally appear. A well is something that you dig up, right? You have to dig down into the earth to get to the water table, uh, with the exception of sometimes, like one, it talks about a, a spring of water that came up and when they dug the well. Um, springs sort of flow to the surface. However, um, sometimes you can't get to that nice flowing water until you dig down. And that requires work, and it requires great effort. It requires sometimes effort that doesn't pay off because I can imagine there were a number of times that the servants of Abraham and Abraham himself and Isaac and his servants when they went out and they dug they didn't find water and the times that they did it was a very precious thing something that would secure their future and by the way and as you can see the the uh, title of this is digging wells again Because much of this study is about digging a well that had already been dug, but then it got filled in by the enemy. And the the problem is with this, and the spiritual analogy of this, of course, is that there are times when we need to fill again or dig again the well that has been filled in. And sometimes our spiritual wells get filled in, don't they? And all of a sudden, we find ourselves without water. And hopefully thirsty enough to get back in and to dig. And sometimes the Lord will allow you to go a while and do that. It's important to make sure you maintain those things, right? I think um, there are a number of people in my life looking back at, at the years, you know, the people that I knew, many of them gone now, that they often would just sometimes were there to maintain the, the farms that they had or other things. I remember a man named Neil Michaud. I don't know if he was related to, to your Michaud clan, uh, but he left Fort Kent in the 1930s, and he moved down to central Maine in the, in the Howland area, um, went to war during World War II. When he came back, uh, he met a, a young gal, and um, they fell in love, and she was a Baptist, and he decided he would go to her church, and he, he got marvelously converted. Uh, and he was a dear Christian man. He donated the land for River of Life Bible Camp. 
and uh, beautiful property there in Maxfield, Maine, just um, upstream on the Piscataquis River. And I remember Neil because he was in his um, he was in his late 80s when I knew him. And first time I ever met Neil to talk to him, he was out mowing his big field. He still had a property that was near the camp, and he was out there with an old tractor that he had maintained, and he had one of those, uh, you know, the uh, I don't know what you call that, Dan, but you know the the mowers that's uh, you know the blades that go back and forth, reciprocating mower, right, or blades. Sickle bar, thank you. All right, I knew you guys that do this. He had that out there, and he was he would spend three or four days out in his fields, and he would just mow all that. He hadn't had a crop in that field other than hay. That's about it for for decades. Um, he got out of farming, I think, when he was in his fifties or so, and yet he had maintained those fields. And I went up to him and I was talking to him, and, and I said, "Why are you mowing this anymore?" He says. All the work that it took to clear this land, I can't stand to see it go back to trees. Ah. You know, and you know, there's someone else, he's been gone now near probably 20 years, and there's someone else that mows that field. So, uh, you know, somebody's taken up and still doing that. But the land around here that was cleared, and much of it has gone back to woods, and some of you know how hard it is to clear land and then maintain that land. But it's necessary if you're going to continue it, right? And I think wells are the same way. Wells will naturally fill in. All right? Think of an old dug well. That's what happens over time. And eventually, if it isn't re-dug, you won't get water out of it. Not enough to survive. And that's what goes on here with Isaac And we find out in the first part of this section that the Lord had blessed Isaac. And God's blessing is something that, of course, followed in the covenant that was given to Abraham. Um, God blessed Abraham and his descendants. And really, we can draw from this um, a spiritual application for God's children in the church. We are blessed with spiritual blessings. But to the Jew and to the descendants of Abraham, there was a material blessing that was attached to that covenant. And that's exactly what was going on, also with spiritual blessing. I don't want to uh, also lessen that. But in verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year. That's important because there were sometimes people sowed and they didn't. All right, Famine would come or drought or something like that. And it says he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That was no normal um, harvest it was a harvest that was abundant and that's important it even says a hundred times what he sowed he received in that and the lord blessed him and that is connected to that it was the lord who had given him that blessing the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous Uh, three times it mentions the word prosper there right and i think the emphasis is very clear that he was all of a sudden abundantly prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. And so the Philistines envied him. Now that last part of that verse 14, the Philistines of course were in the land and they were part of really that, uh, that was not their land. It was given by God right to Abraham and his descendants And yet the Philistines still occupied it. Later on, they would still occupy it. Later on, even like in David's time, right? And even to this day, the land of Israel, the the biblical borders of that land, are occupied by all kinds of people that lay claim to it, and it's not theirs. 
if you read your Bible, it's very clear that God gave it uh, to the descendants of Abraham through Isaac. Anyways, uh, I'm not going to get into the real estate part of that, but the envy part. See, those that were in the land that had worked it probably and had been there, they weren't as prosperous. And they began to envy. And the word envy really means to, it, it, it also goes very closely with the word covet, right? When you envy somebody, you, you feel like, why are they getting that, right? Um, and then covetousness goes further and it says, I want what they have. And a lot of that is what we see that goes on today in our world. It's really covetousness. When, uh, and I think in our world today, it's a lot easier to be covetous. I think it's always been a problem, right from the time God has given the law on, right? Thou shalt not covet. Because it was a problem back then, it's a problem today. But the only thing today is that we can see a whole lot more of stuff that we want. I can go online and I see all the glorious lifestyles of the rich and famous, or, or sometimes uh, just my neighbor, you know, and I think, wow, I need that, or I should have that. And all of a sudden, covetousness comes in, and we begin to envy people for something that that we don't deserve or have or need or anything and yet not looking at the blessings God has given us now being thankful with so little I think uh, if you can do that today um, that's a balanced approach to living if you can live simply with the very basics of life and be content thereof listen that's a good step right there God blessed him. And by the way, God blessed him for his covenant with Abraham. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes here to Timothy, he says, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, referring to Jesus, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now it's interesting because just previous to this section in Genesis that we read, we find Isaac caught up in a lie. And you think, oh, he's a goner. He's done. No more. You know, the great thing about that story is this, that I I sometimes um, found myself like Isaac. Sin has come in. We've yielded to it. And then we go, oh no, I'm I'm a goner. But you're not. See, when we are faithless, God is still faithful. And he's always faithful. Apart from the way I feel today, apart from the actions even that I might do contrary to what he wants us to do. Now, I don't strive for that. I'll tell you that. Neither did Isaac. Isaac's direction in his life was one of faith, just like Abraham. And you will not walk a perfect life on earth because we are sinners. We're born in sin. We're shaped that way. We're bent that way. And God comes down to us. That's Jesus, right? Put on flesh. And he dwelt among us. He pitched his tent where we were, all right? And he extends grace to us and mercy to us because we need that. And he's not done with us. He's promised to bless us. Just as Abraham, his blessing that God gave him was also a means by where Isaac would receive that covenant as well. And right here in Genesis chapter 26 verse 4, he was reminded of that. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because 
Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. By the way, there is a generational blessing connected to people who are willing to stand in their generation and serve the Lord. And Abraham did that. And the generational blessing that came from that went on to Isaac and later his descendants from there until all the nations of the earth are blessed. So my friends, it's important to live for Christ today. You'll never know what influence your life of obedience will have on those around you and even the next generation. And I praise God for that. I praise God. And I'll tell you, as we lead uh, that next generation into the grace and knowledge that we have received, oh, how important that is. It really is. Don't live for the moment only for yourself, but live it for others, right? And for the Lord. By the way, you have been blessed also. And as I said earlier, the, the Abrahamic covenant dealt, the material part of it was to the Jew, all right? The descendants of Abraham. However, the blessings that came out of the Jewish people include the Lord Jesus. He was, he was a Jewish. He came out of that uh, group of people. And God has blessed all the nations of the earth through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to the cross and there he died, his blood being shed, it was not just for the Jew, but also all people everywhere. And whosoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. It's that simple. And you can put your name in the whosoever part if you'll believe on him. Right? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says this. This is Paul when he, in his introductory remarks to the Ephesian church. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If you're a Christian, you have the blessings of Christ, and they're secured in a place where no one can steal them. They're in heaven. And the, the outpouring of them happen here as well. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, the key word there, in him, all right? Jesus is the chosen one. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God has, is working out in his plan so that someday I will be what I should be. Fully. And even now he's working that out. That's what this next verse deals with. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. People get all hung up on the word predestined. And predestined is just this. That if you were to go take a, for instance, a a ride somewhere on an airplane or a train or, or a bus and you got a ticket in your hand, that ticket would say where you start and where you're going. And Jesus has given us a place in heaven because he's predestined that. In other words, he's guaranteed that we're going to arrive. That's what that really means. And you say, well, am I in the running? Am I one that's called? Listen, the call goes out universally. And the, the reception of that gift is dependent upon you to receive him. And if you'll receive him, you are given a ticket that is predestined to eternity in heaven with him. Oh, praise God for that. Isaac believed that. Abraham believed that. We believe that. I hope you believe that. And he goes on to say this 
to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And if you are in him, in the beloved, in Christ, you have all those blessings. And that's that's not a secret. It's there right there on the scriptures, isn't it? Well, we see a blessing. Next, though, we see a conflict. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you won't have warfare and conflict. (laughs) And Isaac was no exception to that. Genesis 26, 14, For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. That would be awful discouraging, wouldn't it? But that's what was happening. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, he and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Now, I find this interesting because we really see Isaac in the fact that, you know, when conflict arises, he seeks a peaceful resolution. Instead of going out and just wasting his time trying to dig those wells back up, um, he instead goes and decides he's going to take his tent and move. Now, I would just say this, that the Bible has... uh, Sometimes in in God's will, there's times to fight and conflict that needs to be withstood in the face of the enemy. And there's other times where there's a peaceful resolution and people move on. And God has honored both those, by the way, in various times. However, I do believe that in accordance to his will, you can't have both at the same time. All right? Sometimes he gives us clear discernment that this is a time we need to move on. We need to be peaceful about it. And I'm going to even take it sometimes on the chin, right? And then other times we need to stand, draw the line in the sand and say, I will go no further. And I think there are clear things that are that. This was about a land that was great. It was big. And there were other places he could go. He said, I'm just going to go. No need for needless bloodshed or conflict to arise. By the way, when God blesses you, he does so without guilt. Isn't that great? The blessings of the Lord make one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. That's Proverbs 10.22. Difference between someone who's even material blessed or spiritually blessed, if you are blessed from God, it doesn't come with guilt or sorrow. The world's blessing, <laughs> if there's such, certainly there's people who have no mindset for the Lord or or receive their blessings from him in their minds or anything like that and they build their own little kingdoms and there's a lot of sorrow that will come with that kind of building someday it'll all be taken away and they who maybe built bigger barns and filled those too guess what it's all going to be taken away given to someone else burned whatever and they themselves will go off into a Christless eternity in hell and never have the blessings of God in the heavens I don't envy them when I see some people with great wealth and they have such wealth they could do anything they want and yet it brings great sorrow often but for the believer if you take what God has given you both materially spiritually and it comes from him as a blessing and it's used appropriately that doesn't come with that it comes with a generous spirit which comes from him by the way when a person is right with God others around him also will be that's a principle you can camp on. Proverbs sixteen seven says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You know, it's often the case. That is the way it is. When you are right with the Lord, it, it 
sets a whole different tone for those around you, even those who are your enemies. I think we would do far greater in a world today where we had people that came to the table with that mindset, that I want to please you first, Lord, and then these other things would fall into place, and it would set a tone for that. Third thing here, the search. We find he leaves that area, goes down, and dwells in another place entirely, um, plenty of space, plenty of movement, and it wasn't worth the few wells that were there. He believed that God was with him and God had a better plan, so he moved on. And he begins to search for another source of water. Verse 18, it says, And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. And also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water. I think in the uh, authorized version it says a spring of water. And, and that's what it was. They, they were even blessed beyond measure. It wasn't just murky water that they found in the bottom of a hole, but it was a spring. That's the best kind, isn't it? But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Esek which means to quarrel or argue, because they quarreled with him. And then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. And so he called its name Sitna. And I believe in the word Sitna means hatred. And so he called its name Sitra. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And uh, Rehoboth means enlargement or uh, space in that way. And so he named these wells. And I, as I said, the names that are important in the Bible, because they often describe more what went on at those locations. You see a man, he's just going to keep digging until he finally finds his, his place. And that's what goes on in this life. And by the way, I think it's important that we try to live peacefully in this life with other people. And that's what he does. And the Bible in the New Testament says that as well. Romans 12, right? Verse 18. If it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And there's some key things to take away from that verse. As much depends on you. There are times you cannot live peaceably with somebody because it's the other person. But I will also say often we could change the outcome if we just search a little deeper in ourselves and put our own pride aside and those kind of things. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, all people. It's a good verse, you know. You go into a situation where there's conflict or potential conflict and say, Lord, have I exhausted everything on my part that would keep the peace in this? Whether it be a relationship with somebody whether it be with uh, an employer or with a work situation or a whatever situation, right? Have I exhausted that? And yet, if that person comes out with guns a-blazing, watch out, <laughs> right? Because you may have to fight, so to speak. James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. There is a way to be diplomatic with people without being a hypocrite. By the way, God gave us a peaceful resolution 
with our sin. And you say, did God go the extra mile? Yeah, he did. He gave his only begotten son. And Jesus gave himself for us who were at war with God. And God says, I'll exhaust everything to make peace with man. And he went and he gave his only son to die for us. Romans chapter 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. Wow. God's done everything he can do. Now we have to do our part. Our part is to receive that gift. It's that simple. And I'll tell you, you do so by faith. Peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? I've seen that printed on uh, a lot of things, you know. Matter of fact, um, a couple weeks ago I said we, we were at this law enforcement retreat down at Living Waters. And a lot of those uh, law enforcement officers and their families who were there. Um, and... And, you know, the verse that they choose every year that is on their literature and the, recruit, the, uh, uh, you know, the advertising for that conference and all that is that verse. Blessed are the peacemakers. And you don't realize uh, how much a blessing it is today for some that are out there serving in uniform or out, maybe they're just serving in that capacity somewhere and they're keeping the peace for us so that we can be here today. And enjoy the word of God. And learn in an environment where we're relatively safe. They put themselves in danger in that. And they're peacemakers. And they try. I know many of them. Listen, I've been with them. And I see them go into situations where they could bring in the full force of the law. Full force of their own strength and other things. And they don't. Instead, they try to keep peace with people. Even people that don't like them. Or have done something wrong. They measure it out very carefully, any strength. Peace, by the way, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I can say this, if there's no peace in your life, you're lacking submission to the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying the peace from within, right? Sometimes the peace, Isaac could not help that the Philistines wanted to fill his wells in. And kick him out of the land. He could move on. But he had peace in the midst of that. I think it's important that we do that as well. More can be said about that. But we, uh, we move on. We come to this part. There was an assurance that God was in this whole event. Sometimes we are. Well we, not sometimes. As we are in this world we will have trouble. And that's, that's guaranteed. All right. That's an Old Testament principle. That's a New Testament principle. All right? It goes from cover to cover in the Bible, with the exception of the garden before sin and heaven in the eternal state. Uh, you have sin, all right, in the middle of that. And you have trouble. Job says, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. You see a fire, you see those sparks flying up, and you say, That's my life. It's filled with trouble. Sometimes it's things of my own making. Sometimes it's others that come along or it's a disease that hits you or something like that. But trouble is going to find us. And Jesus, by the way, when he told his disciples to go out, he didn't say they would go out and be materially blessed 
or that they would go out and have large kingdoms and be ruling those earthly kingdoms. No, he said, I'm going to send you out as um, sheep among wolves. That isn't a very pretty picture. That said, you're going to have trouble. And they did. Over and over and over again, they had trouble. And yet, every time trouble came, God was there with them. And he gave them the assurance that this is exactly where he wanted them. And I can tell you this, that Isaac, in his life, those wells, which made him very prosperous initially, and the Lord making him prosperous through those things, um, using all of that, gave him you know, a certain measure of stability in his life, and all of a sudden that was taken away. And Isaac was going to have to go deeper with the Lord and deeper with the well if he was to go further in his relationship with his Lord. And that's what he does here in verse 23 of chapter 26 of Genesis. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said... Now, I love that because, and that's another study in the Bible. Go all through the the scriptures and and look for the times that God encouraged one of his own in the middle of the night somewhere, or or it wasn't always at night, but sometimes he just sent the still small voice, and other times he was there and he stood with them. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of them, so many, and you'll be blessed. Because you'll find yourself in those same situations sometimes where you're in the middle of a night somewhere. It's, it's just a spiritual battle going on. Your heart's not in it. And the Lord comes and speaks to you. You say, well, how does he speak to you? Well, listen, he's got this book right here. And if you're not making this book part of your life, you're not going to hear his voice. Everything we need for life and godliness and And everything about that in eternity is found in this book. And we can know who he is. I will bless you and multiply your descendants, says for my servant Abraham's sake. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I skipped over that part. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called the name of the Lord, or called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Listen, when it looked really bleak, and I'm sure Isaac was discouraged and fearful and all those other things that happened to any of us, and God appears to him and gives him a message. And I'm so glad God gives assurance of things. Aren't you glad? It's good. Isaac wasn't alone in that. Um, the Apostle Paul, I think one of the, he was the, I call him the missionary apostle, right? All of them were missionaries, but he was the one that would go out and he blazed a new trail that even found its way into Europe. And, and I think today we're blessed greatly in uh, America and hear from the work of those early Christians who went out from Jerusalem and then they went to the far corners of the earth and, and the gospel eventually would come to us here in Madawaska, Maine. Amen. How many discouraged servants along the line that wanted to give up? Listen, I've been there. I'm not there today, but I've been there. I've been to the point where I've said, I'm done with this. I'm going to go back and find something I know that's easier. God gives you a message and a word, and sometimes it's just a verse, and He just gives it to you, and you say, Thank you, God. Paul was no exception. Paul was in the city of Corinth. 
He was ministering there. It hadn't been easy at all. Uh, he had probably feared for his life at various times. And like everywhere Paul went, he, he met opposition. Very harsh, op- harsh opposition. Early on in that ministry, it says this in verse 9 of Acts 18, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid. Why would the Lord say, do not be afraid? Well, very simple. He was afraid. Paul, the apostle, afraid? Yep. But speak. What was he afraid of? He didn't want to speak. And do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. You know, sometimes we look out and we see nothing but enemy. Enemy everywhere. And that's not true. Sometimes we think everybody's bowed the knee to Baal. No, there were still, what, 7,000 that hadn't back there in the days of Elijah. Whoa. God is good, isn't he? And you know that God has a lot of people. And he has people that we might not even be aware of because they haven't come to faith in Christ yet, but they're going to be part of his work, part of his church. And we're to go out and not be silent because he's with us. By the way, the Lord doesn't tell Paul anything that hadn't already been said. He just gives him assurance of what has already been said. Verse 11, he continued there a year and six months. That's 18 months. That's one of the longest spots that Paul stayed in. Ephesus was the only one a little bit longer. And I look at that and I think, that church in Corinth, with all its problems and all the other things that went on, was a blessed church. Now you think at Acts 18, Paul would have learned his lesson. You go just a few chapters later, he's now in Jerusalem, he's been arrested. Been arrested because he was not silent. God told him, don't be silent. Guess what? He went there, he got arrested. Actually, they wanted to kill him. The Jews wanted to kill him. But uh, his own countrymen, his own people. But instead, he was put under really a house arrest or a protective custody. It wasn't house arrest um, by the Romans. And he was going to be shipped off to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. Acts 23, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said... Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. God gives him a little more insight into where he's going. You're going to Rome, and you're going to bear witness to there. Later, we would know that when Paul writes in his epistles, and he says, those in Caesar's household greet thee, that God was even at work in the household of Caesar. Amen. You think God could be at work in some of the families of our political leaders? You bet. Some of our world leaders? You bet. And he is. Acts 27, verse 20. This is later on. Paul's now on a ship. It's in the middle of a storm. It's bad. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. You ever get to that point where you say, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with life. That's a bad place to be. And it wasn't that he was going to throw himself into the deep, but they'd given up. We're done. We're dead. Just a matter of time, and the boat's going down. 
But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. They had thrown all their their wares overboard. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. What a beautiful hope. Sometimes it's a physical storm, sometimes it's a spiritual storm, but the Lord is with you. Sometimes it's from within the church or within the umbrella of Christianity. Paul had that happen too. In his final letter that he would write before he is killed in Rome, because that was his eventual outcome, his next promotion from Rome would be to glory. History says that he was beheaded at Rome. Second Timothy, he writes this to young Timothy just before he dies, and he says this, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. And he names two people. He says, Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. My friends, he knows who you are. He knows who are his. He knew Isaac was where he was, and he was going to bless him. And he did. And then I just want to, want to say this, and I won't go into great detail, but Genesis 26 says he pitched his tent there in Beersheba. And Beersheba, the name Beersheba, was the well of the oath. Later we read of that in those final verses of Genesis, well, that part we read anyways, is that he established an oath of peace between, the descent, or between him and his descendants and the, the people of the land. And there was a well that was dug with that name. It was the, the well of the oath. And it was a constant reminder. And by the way, Beersheba is still there. It's like the fourth most populous uh, city in Israel today or that metropol- met- metropolitan area. And, and uh, Beersheba still has that name. And it reminds us that God made an oath years ago. And he made that oath. And it's still an oath that has it. But there was a tent And I thought of that because God had blessed Isaac and had blessed him so much materially that Isaac could have built a castle, a fort. He could have built something permanent, right? And he chooses to live in a tent. Why? You know, I think it's this, that he knew that he was always a stranger and a pilgrim in this land. That no matter what he built, it didn't have that foundation that really was the the solid foundation, which is the Lord. And that's a foundation in the heavens, isn't it? In the book of Hebrews, it says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And it says, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And I like that because it goes on to talk about some of those those descendants. In verse 9, it says this, By faith... 
He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him of the same promise. That was referring to Abraham. When Abraham had his tent and he moved ahead and moved around that land, there were those even that weren't yet born that were part of that. And all I would just say is don't put your tent pegs in too deeply. Don't do it. Live by faith. Remind yourself that you're just a stranger and a pilgrim walking with the Lord in that. Paul says this body is a tent. Someday it's going to be put off. It's going to be packed up. And we're going to go have a new body in heaven. And then if you just want to finish that outline, I won't make comments on it, is there's an agreement. And that's that oath that's made at Beersheba. An agreement. And I'll remind you, there's an oath that God made in a covenant he's made with all people if they'll, if they'll join that covenant. And it's a covenant in his blood. Uh, the New Testament. And I'm thankful for that. A covenant written in the blood of Christ that establishes peace between the sinner and God. And it's through Jesus Christ. Have you believed on him? Have you turned from your sin and believed on him? If so, you're part of that covenant. It's that simple. He's promised you a place in heaven. Let's pray this morning. And we'll be dismissed with a song. Lord, we are grateful for your goodness. For your unfailing love, your unfailing mercy, your unfailing truth. And oh Lord, all changes around us, but you change not. And we thank you for that. And thank you for the assurance you give through Jesus Christ. And that he holds us today. It's not us holding him. And thank you that if we, uh, even if we abide faithless, he's still faithful. And Lord, I pray even today we might walk and please you. And help us, Lord, to realize we're but strangers and pilgrims in this land also. In Jesus' name, amen.